the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're rolling on a Thursday. 25th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and we're loaded up, coming up on the program. But by the way, loaded up, but not necessarily in the uh, first hour. We're just free in the first hour, and that's good, because i got a lot of things I want to say, and i got a lot of questions I want to ask, and a lot of answers I want to get from you. But then in the uh, 10 o'clock hour, 1010, as it is a Thursday, we will talk to the victorious Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper won in his runoff election for Osage County uh, Commissioner yesterday uh, in the Oklahoma primaries. Actually, beg your pardon, on Tuesday. I talked to him about it yesterday. He will now advance to the general election in uh, November. So we will talk to the victorious Dr. Piper about that win and, more importantly, about other issues facing us in this culture war. At 1035, we're going to talk about weaponizing the bureaucracy. Who's going to protect us 
from the government's standing army. Make no mistake about it, they are building a standing army that is not the actual army. We're talking about the IRS, we're talking about other bureaucratic agencies that are armed to the teeth with weapons of war, with millions of rounds of ammunition. And it makes you wonder, what are they doing with all of this firepower? They're not the military. And the answer is they're turning them against us. We're going to talk to John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute about that coming up at uh, 11, or excuse me, at 1035. Then at 1110, A.J. Rice will join us. He's an author who wrote a terrific book that outlines in massive detail, by the way. I mean, I'm talking about really, really, this is almost a 500-page book called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. Terrific, terrific piece, and we're going to talk to him coming up about uh, about that at eleven ten. So we got Doctor Piper at ten ten, John Whitehead at ten thirty five, AJ Rice at eleven ten. So we have so many things to get into uh, this morning, and we are going to start. Actually, let's start with our pledge of allegiance. Let's start with our pledge so that I can dive into the monologue with without a uh, pause. Uh, Patriots, please rise. Face your flag if you have one. If you are driving, you do not have to rise, but please go ahead and put your hand on your heart. And if you've got a flag mounted somewhere on your dashboard because you listen to this show at this time of the day, God bless you. And if you don't, it's all right. We're not going to throw stones, but it's wonderful those who do. If you are a believer in taking money away from hardworking Americans and giving it away to people who claim they didn't know what they were borrowing, then you don't know what the flag represents anyway. You are exempted from my request to pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and your favorite ex-WNBA player and your favorite ex-pink-haired soccer player and the rest of the America haters. Go ahead and take the knee while the rest of us rise and say... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I want to share this, this terrific little explanation from somebody that I don't know. This was from somebody who lives in Kansas, and it was reposted as a Facebook post, which will probably lead to somebody being banned or suspended very, very shortly. But it was reposted by a friend of mine that I do know, and I'm going to steal it, give attribution to it. Uh, You won't know the name Ryan Carey. It doesn't matter. But this is just a very, very good and simplistic example of why what Joe Brandon did yesterday by announcing something he has no authority to do, by the way, which is to grant student loan debt forgiveness to $10,000 a person, to anybody making under $125,000 a year, without any details, without any specifics about where's the cutoff, how far back does it go, how far into the future does it it extend, what about current students rather than recent graduates. All of the details are yet to be made clear. But what we do know is that, according to The Economist, it's going to cost American taxpayers roughly $300 billion. So what he did yesterday was akin to this, and I want to share this with you. John graduates high school and takes out a loan for $50,000 to start his plumbing company, John's Plumbing. 
He buys all of the expensive tools that are needed. He buys a work truck. And he learns the trade. Chris, his buddy, graduates high school and takes out a $50,000 loan to go to college to study underwater queer architecture or some other liberal arts course of study. John works for those five years and begins to pay off his loans. Chris graduates after five years with a debt he cannot pay because there isn't much of a hiring uh, spree going on for people who graduate with underwater queer gender studies degrees. But nonetheless, he's got the $50,000 loan he's got to pay off. Along comes Uncle Joe, who says, Hey, Chris, that's a lot for you to pay off, that $50,000. I'm going to forgive 20% of that. I'm going to forgive $10,000 of your $50,000 loan. You're welcome. Chris waves a hand in the air. Hey, Uncle Joe, I've got a $50,000 loan, too. I've started to pay it off. It's what allowed me to have this job and this company that I've started. I'm a plumber. I've got my own plumbing business. And, man, it's expensive, my $50,000 loan, too. Can I get my 10 Gs off, too? And Uncle Joe turns around and flips him two great big double birds. No! You don't get loan forgiveness, you plumber. Don't you understand how important Chris's degree is in underwater queer gender studies? That deserves loan forgiveness. The gall of you. The audacity of you to ask for loan forgiveness. Get back to snake in my drain. Meanwhile, Chris has $10,000 of his debt forgiven, and John's taxes go up by thousands, because now not only does he have to pay back his loan, he has to pay for Chris's $10,000 loan forgiveness as well. Meanwhile, as he tries to compute his new taxes, John gets audited by one of Uncle Joe's new 87,000 IRS agents that have to try to find a way to squeeze every nickel out of every middle-class taxpayer to make sure that they can pay for all of the ridiculous loan forgiveness and debt forgiveness that he just gave to Chris. Now, there's got to be, at some point in this equation... Somebody has to say, wait a second, what about fundamental fairness? What about this guy who decided I can't afford to take out a $50,000 loan to get a degree that will not put me in a, in, in, a, in a position to make enough money to pay it back, much less live the life that I want to lead. What I will do, though, is take out a loan that I know will pay itself off or pay me back because it's my company. It's my business. I'm starting. I know that my tools and my truck and the trade that I learn are going to pay off in the end, and I'm willing to pay back my loan. What about that guy compared to the guy who says, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to study. I'm going to study something, some liberal arts thing or another. And, uh, and when I get out, uh, well, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And that's another part of this that I simply cannot get past. 
Many on the left, as I've heard over the course of the last 24 hours since this thing became official, this ridiculous Biden-slash-Brandon student loan debt forgiveness, a lot of the left are saying you can't hold 18-year-olds accountable when they probably didn't even know what they were signing. You know, they've been told their entire lives to go to college. you got to go to college to get a good degree, to get a good degree, to get a good job, to get a good job, to make a, good, a lot of good money. you got to do all of this. you got to go to college. And then you shove these papers in front of them and say, sign here. And they're like, this is what it takes to go to college. Okay, I'll go to college. And they don't know what they're signing. I mean, they're, they're 18. They're not that smart. They're not that you know worldly. They don't really read all of the fine print in a contract. And I find that just a little bit disturbing that we will make excuses for an 18-year-old who can't understand a loan that he just took out and that he would eventually have to pay that back plus interest. And we excuse him as saying he's only 18. How is he supposed to know? But the same people who say that say that a 15-year-old is old enough to make a decision to have both of her breasts removed because she thinks she's a boy. At 15, she can have a double mastectomy. But at 18, she can't make up her mind about whether or not she really wants to take out that loan. She's not smart enough. We trust them to make decisions that will alter their bodies and their lives for the rest of their lives, but we don't trust them to make decisions on whether or not they want to borrow this money. And we don't have to hold them accountable for paying it back. I mean, what we are witnessing right now in this country is astounding. The double standard and the hypocrisy as the left simply trolls for votes. Why do you think the LGBTQ XYZ question mark hashtag exclamation point dollar sign ampersand crew gets all of this attention from the Democrats? Do they care about them? No, they don't care about them. If they cared about them, they would stop taking psychological delusions and turning them into gender affirmation that simply ruins the lives of people once they snap out of their phases. They care about showing them the compassion that they do so that they can get their votes. Why are they giving $300 billion in, away in debt forgiveness and passing it on to others for votes. You think they give a rip about the actual borrower? Look what I did for you. Look at how important this is. I and my party just made sure you can go to school and you don't have to pay back all of the money that you borrowed. You better plan on voting for me. That's what this is all about from the very beginning. This is bought and paid for votes and nothing less. Brandon stood at that podium yesterday for one of the rare days he's actually at work. I saw a study, by the way, that counted the number of days he has spent in the Oval Office and at work on the job or on, you know, on the job traveling versus being in Delaware on vacation. He has literally been on vacation for nearly half of his uh, presidency so far. Forty plus percent of the time he is not in Washington. He's in Delaware. Forty percent of the time he's trying to ride bikes on the beach. But yesterday was one of those work days and he stood there and he told the American people that 
education must be universal, not just for 12 years, but for 16 years. Education should be free, because 12 years of universal education is not enough. He literally made that statement. When America made 12 years of public education universal in the last century, we became, not figuratively, literally the best educated public in the world. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We're 37th in the world in math. We are not the best public edu- or, uh, public educated nation in the world. And uh, better prepared than any other nation. Not true. We're getting our lunch handed to us by other nations. And I would argue that uh, it's one of the reasons why we were so successful and have been so successful. But as you've all observed, other nations have caught up. In the 20- Not caught up, surpassed us, lapped us 15 times over. We're 37th in math. First century, in my view, I think the vast majority of the Americans, 12 years of universal education is not enough. Now, he said that yesterday, 12 years of universal education is not enough before telling you that college is a ripoff. And one more big change we're making to the system is we're holding colleges accountable for jacking up costs without delivering value to students. Colleges are jacking up costs but not delivering value to students. He, didn't he just say that we need 16 years? We need 16 years, but there's no value in those four years. We've all heard of those schools luring students with a promise of big paychecks when they graduate, only to watch these students be ripped off and left with mountains of debt. <laughs> we need 16 years of universal education. And by the way, those last four schools are promising students big paychecks and then watching them graduate and being ripped off and left with mounds of debt. So in other words, college isn't worth it. He literally is telling you that colleges lie and lure students with promises of big paychecks that don't get delivered upon. And by the way, we need 16 years of education. We need to guarantee four more years of universal education. Think about what is happening before your very eyes. He wants you to believe that he is looking out for the poor and he's looking out for the middle class. He does not want to answer the question, who is paying for all of this debt forgiveness? And the reason why he doesn't want to answer that is because the answer is the poor and the middle class. Mr. President, is this unfair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? Did you hear the question from the reporter shouted as he walked off the the stage and off out of the room? Mr. President, is this unfair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? That's a pretty good question. What's the answer? Is it fair to people who, in fact... uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses and see why these guys get them all attached Is that fair? What do you think? Did you hear that? He answered the question of, is it fair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? He responded with, is it fair to people who, uh, who do not own multi-billion dollar businesses to see one of these guys getting all the tax credits? What? What in the living hell does A have to do with B? Does one have to do with the other? He, She asked you a question. Is it fair to somebody who paid off their loans, like I did, like you probably did, or chose not to take out loans, maybe like you did, and you just went and got a, tra- got a job, learned to trade? Is it fair to them to to watch these loans being forgiven to these people who chose to go to college? And his answer was, multi-billion dollar tax uh, businesses get tax breaks. He can't defend this. 
because it is truly indefensible. This is a bailout for the education system. This is buying votes from from ignorant people and bailing out a corrupt education system. That's the reality. And still very sensible running for Senate in Ohio. He joins us tonight. J.D. Vance, I know that you are very concerned about student loan debt. Any person looks at the numbers is. Is this the way to address it? I know it's certainly not, Tucker. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that this is effectively a bailout for a super corrupt educational system. The Harvard Endowment has $60 billion. The Yale Endowment has $40 billion. If you want to give student debt relief, you should penalize the people who have benefited from this very corrupt system, not ask plumbers in Ohio to subsidize the life decisions of of, of college-educated young people. And that is exactly what this does. It asks the plumbers to pay for the underwater gender queer studies program graduates. Or dropouts, because they still have to pay back their debts even if they don't graduate. Those keg standers, those beer pongers that I told you about yesterday, their loans get forgiven too. How about that? This is an astounding development of all of the dumb things Brandon has done in a year and a half of his presidency, this might be the dumbest. And this is, I think, probably the most corrupt. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's get you to be a part of this program on Always Right Radio. Sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 937 now we continue on Always Right Radio. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget to check out the webpage, alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. We're talking about the student loan forgiveness plan again today because it continues to be maybe the dumbest thing that Joe Biden has ever done. And that would take some doing. Because he continues to do dumb things on an almost daily basis, to rank them is very difficult. But I think it's I think it's very legitimately possible that this is the dumbest move that he has ever made. Not to mention, by the way, an unconstitutional move. But he thinks this is uh, this is the right thing to do, or at least that's what he's telling you. I understand not everyone thing, every, uh, not everything I'm announcing today is going to make everybody happy. Something is too much. I find it interesting how. Some of my Republican friends who voted for those tax cuts and others think uh, that we shouldn't be helping these folks. Something is too little. But I believe my plan is responsible and fair. It focuses the benefit on middle class and working families. It does nothing of the sort. Sometimes, again, I've, I've had this question come up whenever I talk about Corrine uh, uh, Jean-Pierre and some others. Uh, and it applies here to Biden, and that is, which is worse, for somebody to be dumb or for somebody to be dishonest, which is worse, being dumb or being dishonest. Because I can't figure out which one he is here. Is he just an idiot who actually thinks that this is going to benefit lower-income uh, uh, people, the middle class, as he says, or is he just he knows the truth and that's just the line to sell it? Because he can't be unaware of the facts, can he? Because they're being put out in front of him by countless numbers of individuals. 
including the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business, which told the truth. And that is that 40%, the highest income, 40% of households, in other words, the 40 richest, 40% of the richest households, and those are people with incomes over $75,000, they owe almost 60% of the outstanding education debt, and they make three-quarters of the payments. You understand that? The, the households that make the most money have the most college debt. That means the households that make the most money will what? Be the ones who reap the benefits. Because the lowest income, 40% of households, hold just under 20% of the outstanding debt. And they make only 10% of the payments. This is a benefit to the rich. The, the, the college students... Uh, who go on, and again, they're trying to put off being an adult for four years, so they go to college right out of high school at 18, and then it's 22, their time to graduate, and I don't want to go to work, Uh, I'm going to go to grad school. And then they borrow some more. These are the borrowers. These are the people that have the money, uh, or owe the money, rather, that are having their debts forgiven. Now, having explained a little bit about this, about where the debt lives, about who owes it, and about who's going to benefit from debt forgiveness. Giving the example, by the way, of the plumber who graduated, you know, the the, the high school graduate uh, who says, I'm going to take out a $50,000 loan to buy a truck and the tools, I'm going to learn the training, I'm going to go be a plumber. He doesn't get his $50,000 loan forgiven, but the guy that goes to study underwater genderqueer architecture does. He gets his loan forgiven, or at least a portion of his loan forgiven. This is what Biden is going to take to the voters in November on behalf of the Democrats. This is what he's going to take and say, look what we've done. Biden has the lowest approval rating of any president in my lifetime and maybe, maybe all time. I have to go back and research that, but we all know where his numbers are. They're in the low 30s overall. They're in the low 20s among Hispanic voters, which is extraordinarily important for them, or for him rather. Which is one of the reasons why he's thinking, well, we got to find a way to reach these individuals, and maybe they're the ones who owe a lot of student loan debt, so they'll thank us for this. But Biden is in a world of hurt right now, and so is his party in terms of popularity. Which is what makes what I'm about to play for you that much more astounding. This is 75 seconds of Charlie Crist, former Republican, now Democrat, who just won the Florida primary on the Democrat side and the right to face off against Ron DeSantis for the leadership of the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis, who has guided that state with a steady hand of leadership through the pandemic without shutting their entire state down, without killing all of their jobs, without crushing all of their school kids and everything else. Charlie Chris wants that job, and he thinks that the man that can help him get that job is Joe Biden. He of the sub third or uh, very low thirties uh, percent approval rating. He thinks Joe Biden can help him get that job. In fact, he wants Joe Biden to help him so much. You're about to hear seventy five seconds of the most disgusting, reprehensible drivel you've ever heard. I recommend if you have a bucket nearby, get it handy, a waste basket, or if you need to race to the bathroom, uh, and hopefully you didn't need a big breakfast. Because you may lose it all when you hear these 75 seconds. Absolutely. Listen, look what Joe Biden's done for our co- President Biden, forgive me, has done for our country 
He's been exceptional. Look what he's done for the world. I mean, what's happening in Ukraine? They- what's happening in Ukraine is an invasion by Vladimir Putin that's killing 9,000 Ukrainians thus far and counting. That's what he's done for the world? Because when President Trump was in office, Vladimir Putin never stepped a pinky toe outside of Russia. When Obama was president, Putin annexed the peninsula of Crimea from Ukraine. Now that Biden's president, it's full-on invasion. Did you really just say, look what he's done for the world? Him bringing NATO together, uh, new members to NATO, Finland, Sweden. Which has only inflamed the Russian invasion and war. Is he serious right now? It's, It's remarkable. The EU... I mean, what other president could have done what he's done? Obama? That's who. Only Obama could create that much of a dumpster fire in Eastern Europe, the way Biden has. But please continue, Charlie. He's been phenomenal. Gas prices are down. Wait. Wait, 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 what? No, gas prices are down. The national average for a gallon of gas is still around three eighty nine a gallon. When he took office, the average price for a gallon of gas was two thirty nine a gallon. That's a dollar fifty more a gallon. It rose as high as five dollars a gallon. Did he just say that Joe Biden brought gas prices down? Gas prices are down. Inflation is trending down. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Inflation reached 9.1% just a month ago. It's still 8.5%. That's an 8.5% increase over last year. That's not trending down. That is a massive increase. And democracy is trending up. I'm running against a guy who's against democracy. He doesn't support mail-in ballots. He doesn't support African Americans and their right to vote. Wait. Wait. Democracy is trending up? Democracy is trending up because of mail-in balloting? Mail-in balloting, which leads and has led to the worst massive voter fraud in American electoral history? That's an increase in democracy? And did you just say Ron DeSantis doesn't believe African Americans should vote? That goes beyond politics, by the way. That should lead to a slander charge. That should lead to a slander suit. Joe Biden supports all of that. He's a good man. He's a great man. He's a great president. I can't wait for him to get down here. I need his help. I want his help. And he's he's the best I've ever met. I told you to get the bucket ready. He's a good man. He's a great man. He's a great president. He's the best I've ever seen. I need him to come down here and help me. This is in stark contrast, of course, to Tim Ryan here in the state of Ohio and countless numbers of Democrats who are running for for re-election who are saying, no, we don't want President Biden nor Vice President Kami to come down here and campaign with us or for us. We don't want it. We haven't asked for it. We have no plans to ask for it. Charlie Chris says, bring your 30% approval rating down here and stand next to me. That shows you how much of a chance he really thinks he has against Ron DeSantis. I know this man. He offered me his lunch when he was campaigning for me.
Wow. He gave me his lunch. Now that's a guy that I really can get behind. He he increased gas prices by exponential amounts. He's increased inflation by exponential amounts. He abandoned hundreds of Americans in Afghanistan. He got 13 service members killed. He has a revolving door, not even a revolving door. It's just a, a, a no door whatsoever, no border whatsoever on our southern border. But you know what? He once bought me lunch. He bought me lunch. That's a good man right there. Uh, a couple of years ago down in Florida, I, don't, I only eat one meal a day. I try to stay fit. I'm an old quarterback from Wake Forest. <laughs> oh, hell, that, that adds some credibility. There's a nice flex. I'm an old quarterback from Wake Forest. But seriously, this man is a great man. Joe, thank God Joe Biden's the president of the United States today. Thank God for that. All and right, President Obama before him. These are good people. Uh, I said it, and I meant it. You, you really have to be careful when you're, when you're listening to people like this. This is, this is how far they have fallen. This is the depths to which they will, uh, you know, they will take themselves. They're literally grasping at straws. Oh, by the way, as, as, as Democrat candidate uh, for Florida's governor uh, in Florida's governor's race, uh, Charlie Crist was busy giving that big old sloppy kiss on CNN to Joe Biden. Um, the current governor of Florida, who will be running for re-election there, was busy talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci. And I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. <laughs> Did he just say, grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac? Yeah, he did. I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. <laughs> oh, that is classic. So anyway, it does show the depths uh, that they have they have stooped to, honestly. Uh, talking about the Democrats, it's full-on desperation. We're going to buy votes with $300 billion of student loan debt forgiveness. We're going to play race cards. Uh, we're going to we're going to try to prop up a guy who is absolutely death for virtually anybody who is campaigning for him. And by the way, Charlie Cripps, Christ, is very, very unique in that regard. Because I've got a separate article here featuring Tim Ryan and others. Democrats in competitive races who are criticizing the student loan decision here because they know full well uh, how popular Biden is. He's trying to buy votes for them. They're saying, knock it off. This is only going to hurt us. Tim Ryan, New Hampshire Representative Chris Pappas, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, all criticizing publicly this order for giving $10,000 in student loans. They don't want his help. Charlie, Chris, they're in such a... They're in such a blender right now. Seriously, they're all mixed up. Charlie Crist is praising it and saying, come on down here and support me and join me, Mr. President. Others are saying, this is a terrible mistake and please stay the hell away from my state. I don't want you dragging me down into your 30%. Desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures, and this is what we are seeing from the Democrats. Ryan said, by the way, Tim Ryan running against J.D. Vance said, while there's no doubt that a college education should be about opening opportunities, waiving debt for those already on a trajectory to financial security sends the wrong message to the millions of Ohioans without a degree working just as hard to make ends meet. Instead of forgiving student loans for six-figure earners, we should be working to level the playing field for all Americans, including an across-the-board tax cut for working and middle-class families, medical debt cancellation, targeted forgiveness for essential workers, and more opportunities for student borrowers to refinance 
finance their loans and investing in apprenticeships, universal community college, and workforce development and training programs. So Ryan is continuing basically to try to recast himself, to rebrand himself, rather than being the big government Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer lackey, trying to portray himself as a middle-class blue-collar worker who sides with the middle class and not with the elites. So that's uh, that's just, again, desperation calls for desperate measures. They're so mixed up, honestly, it gets me dizzy, too. 9.51, right back after this, Always Right Radio. You know, one other element to this, the student loan uh, debacle, that I have not yet covered is the inflation aspect. The Wall Street Journal says this is an inflation expansion act. The reports say Biden's cancellation of $10,000 in debt for borrowers making $125,000 a year or less would cost around $300 billion this year, $330 billion over 10 years, which is far more than the $102 billion the inflation quote, air, uh, unquote, Reduction Act, purportedly reduces the deficit over 10 years, starting in 2027. So what that means is, Biden canceling, Biden claiming that canceling student loans won't have any meaningful effect on inflation is flat-out false. It has a very direct impact on, on inflation, and so much so that former Obama economists say that it will indeed make economists, or ex- economists, make inflation worse. Representative Ashley Hinson said President Biden's plan to cancel student loan debt is a handout to the wealthy and a slap in the face to working-class Americans, which we proved with the statistics we gave you. Congressman Dan Muser said, we pay off your self-imposed debt, or excuse me, why pay off your self-imposed debt if Biden Democrats can get a hard-working American to do it for you? Forgiving self-induced student debt is a moral hazard for our country and will enhance inflation. Another out-of-touch and wasteful policy from the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer Democrats. And I'll share this with you, because I mentioned the Obama, uh, former Obama economist. This kind of matters. When you have uh, Jason Furman, who worked in the Obama administration as an economist, calling this action by Joe Brandon reckless, this isn't a, a a Fox News commentator. This isn't a you know one American news commentator. This isn't even a conservative radio talk show host. This is a President Obama economist, chairman of the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. In fact, for President Obama, he argued in a Twitter thread that this policy would lead to an increase in inflation, and he criticized the plan for encouraging further increases in the cost of education. Quote, pouring roughly a half trillion dollars of gasoline on the inflationary fire that is already burning is reckless. Doing it while going well beyond one campaign promise, $10,000 of student loan relief, and breaking another promise, all proposals would be paid for, is even worse. The White House fact sheet has sympathetic examples about a construction worker making 38k and a married nurse making 77k, but then why design a policy that would provide up to $40,000 to a married couple making 249,000? Why include law and business school students in this? He went on to argue that the estimated impact of canceling $20,000 in student loans at, uh, per student would increase inflation, nearly doubling an estimate he made on Tuesday evening on Twitter 
which cited the estimate by the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. He argues, this Obama economist, that this initial estimate of the, uh, of the inflation must be increased to reflect the new expected amount of loan forgiveness. Joe Biden has never seen an economic fire that he didn't dump kerosene on. And that's what he's doing with this. Why? I think we said it in the beginning. All about votes. Nothing more, nothing less. 959, we got news coming up. Dr. Everett Piper on the other side. Always right radio, AM 1420, the answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on a Thursday. It's the 25th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And as always at this hour on this day, it's uh, my privilege and my honor to welcome to the program Dr. Everett Piper. And today we welcome him with some applause. Can you dig it? <laughs> Applauding his victory in the Osage County Commission runoff race last night in Oklahoma. Not last night, beg your pardon, Tuesday night. I commended him and uh, congratulated him last night. He is now uh, in the general election in November. And Dr. Everett Piper, best-selling author, columnist for the Washington Times, and now uh, general election candidate for that office. Congratulations, sir. Very happy for you. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, Bob, I've had a lot of people ask me why... Uh, retired university president is running for county commissioner. And um, I don't know if we've talked about this on your show or not, but if I can just briefly say this, uh, local matters. And I really believe that if we don't get our local house in order, then we're throwing good money after bad when we focus on the federal and the state level. And we found that out during COVID. When you had local mayors and local county commissioners and a local sheriff that kept their head on their shoulders and didn't lose their mind in the face of Anthony Fauci's COVID craziness, we all realized a little bit more freedom than those communities that suffered these, you know, these mandates and masking this and vaccination that. So local control matters. George Washington's favorite verse that he cited over 50 times to his fellow founding fathers and his correspondents in the founding era his favorite verse was Micah 4.4. Every man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree and shall not be afraid. It's kind of a weird and obscure verse. But stop and think about what he was saying. It's your vine. It's your fig tree. It's your ranch. It's your gate. It's your driveway. It's your home. It's your village. It's your family. They're your kids. Leave us alone. And when you get local elected officials that understand that, you're going to realize more freedom rather than less. So that's why I decided to do this. 
Well, Dr. Piper, we did talk about that, and I'm glad to hear you explain it again, because you wrote a whole column about it. So we talked about it on the show about three four weeks ago, in which you wrote a column about localism and the importance of those uh, races and why this is import- more important to you to do than trying to run for Senate or something of that nature. So I'm really, really glad to hear you explain it again, and I'm even happier uh, that you've been successful thus far through the primary, now the runoff, and now into the general election, and hopefully you can make those changes at the local level there in Osage County, Oklahoma, and, and others will be inspired to do the same thing in theirs. So that's, uh, that's a great start. Now, I want to talk about your column uh, in the Washington Times from this past Sunday, your most recent, about all Republicans being terrorists. Now, it's funny. Uh, you reference uh, Orwell again, and I think a lot of people get tired of that. that that's not a criticism of you. I mean, generally speaking, because all over Facebook, all over social media, and all over a lot of conservative talk radio and maybe podcasting, people talk about Orwell, and they talk about 1984 and some of the parallels they see so much so that Orwell uh, is being used by some, one of the famous favorite lines goes, is being used by some on the left as uh, not a warning but an instruction manual. This is how to do it. And yeah. and you, you write in, in great detail about um, you know what they are doing to try to brand uh, Republicans. Half of the population roughly is being domestic terrorists and, uh, and, and true threats uh, to the republic and so forth. And what I'm reminded of is a different meme that I saw that reminded me of your column and vice versa, and that is, um, I want 1776. They seem to want 1984. Not, not 1984 as in the second uh, uh, election of Reagan, the book 1984. We're sitting here trying to uphold the principles of the of the Declaration, of 1776 and the Constitution that followed, and they are literally rather, rather than embracing that, they're scrapping that and really pursuing some of the, uh, some of the um, utopian or dystopian, as it turned out to be, um, you know, uh, matters in uh, that Orwell covered in 1984. Why don't you take it from there? Well, I'd also say uh, I want 1776. I don't want 1917. And 1917 was the Bolshevik Revolution and the rise of Marxist power. Uh, essentially worldwide. And those two revolutions stand in stark contrast. 1776 was a revolution for human freedom, human dignity, grounded in the assumption of self-evident truths endowed to us by our Creator. You've got 1917, the rise of the Bolshevik Revolution, and the upraised fist of power, human power, oligarchs, telling everybody else how they should live their lives. And uh, really, that's the Democratic Party today. And we, we talk about Orwell all the time because, I mean, <laughs> Orwell warned of, uh, of a time when right would become wrong and wrong would become right simply because Big Brother said so. Doublespeak, the dumbing down of the definition of words, that nothing means anything anymore other than what Big Brother says it means. And that's where we are today, to the point where if you're a Republican— if you're a conservative, they are now officially telling you that you are dangerous, you are an extremist. In fact, uh, who is it? Uh, Edward Luce, the ed- associate editor for the Financial Times, said last week that Republicans are the most dangerous political force in the world, bar none. That's his language. He says, I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world, and I have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. Close quote. And the former CIA director, Michael Hayden, chimed in immediately on that tweet and said, I agree. Are you serious? 
we've got the Taliban and Al-Qaeda beheading Christians, and you're going to call Republicans the most dangerous, nihilistic, contemptible um, uh, force on earth? This is where they are right now. If you disagree with them, a few years ago they told you that you were deplorable, that you were a thoughtless rube, that you lacked gray matter. And now they've gone beyond labeling you stupid to labeling you dangerous. And that if you even venture into the public square to challenge their ideology, to challenge their politics, to challenge their view of, oh, let's say green economics or their sexual nihilism or how they're going to conduct their schools and teach your kids what's wrong rather than teach your kids what's right, where they're going to elevate Black Lives Matter and it's neo-Marxism as if it's a good thing rather than a bad thing, where they're going to talk about social emotional learning as if that is the highest goal of the academy rather than teaching your kids how to read and write and count. If you say anything like like what I just said, then you are an extremist and you are contemptible and you're nihilistic and you should be silenced. I mean, that's where we are within the public square in the debate right now when it comes to democratic thought. And that's a very dangerous place for us to be. You know what I find um, most fascinating about all of that, and and particularly the the line by Edward Luce, is it Luce, from the Financial Times? The word nihilistic, I mean, it's one thing they call us dangerous, another thing they call us contemptible. Um, I think you left out what you covered there as well, Democratic advisor calling uh, all Republicans domestic terrorist cell, uh, members of dom- a domestic terrorist cell. I- I'm, I'm, I'm astounded by the, by the, the nihilism ac- uh, accusation, because nihilism is a belief in nothing. Nihilism is a belief that nothing exists, that there is no origin of anything, etc. And the one thing that I think most describes those on the far left is nihilistic. They don't believe in a creator. They don't believe in morality. They don't believe in life. They don't believe in... I mean, one thing you can say about us, those on the conservative side of the Republican Party, we believe in some very, very fundamental things, and we're very, very loud about it. And we believe in creation. And we do believe in life and the protection of life. And we do believe in uh, liberty and the right for people to live their own lives and to not be uh, uh, the victims of, an, of, a, of a heavy-handed, uh, over, overreaching government. I mean, we have very strong sets of beliefs, and I think it's their lack of a belief in anything, including basic biology now, that, that truly describes the Democratic Party, or at the very least, I won't be as blatant as they are and say all Democrats. What I will say is those on the far left... I think nihilism is truly one of their biggest problems. That's one of their biggest plagues. And for them to do, to describe those on the right with all of our very specifically well-defined beliefs uh, laid out there to call us nihilists is, um, I don't know, that's it's pretty astounding to me. But they're masters at this, Bob. This, and I don't think it's unintentional. I think they do know what they're doing. They are masters of accusing their adversaries of the very sins that they're most guilty of themselves. For example, they'll say that they believe in tolerance, but that they can't tolerate your intolerance. So they prove that the sin that they hold dear, the one that they enjoy the most, their intolerance is what they're going to accuse you of being. So they distract from their guilt of doing that very thing that they accuse you of doing. They say that they know nothing can be known. Well, that's interesting. That's self-refuting, too. They're absolutely sure that nothing is absolute. They're masters of pointing the finger outward while they... They have three other fingers pointed back at themselves, and they do it with a straight face, knowing that the accusation they're fielding against you for being an extremist uh, masks their own extremism. This is what they do. 
Barack Obama took the stage last week to talk about how um, we've lost trust in the media. And when we don't trust that the media is going to tell us the truth any longer, all is lost. So in other words, the master of the big lie is now accusing everybody else of being a liar and buying the lie. Again, they, are, they really do uh, perfect this, uh, this obfuscation and this uh, sleight of hand. It's, it's an art form to them. It is all of those things, Dr. Piper. And um, and just real quick, before we move on from this, um, you do a, a wonderful job of, of, of listing those things, those beliefs that they describe as what right-wing extreme, excuse me, right-wing extremism, including if you're pro-life, you're a right-wing extremist. If you are pro-sexual morality, you're a right, right-wing extremist. If you are a believer in low taxes, a believer in open debate on environmental policy, a believer in enforcing America's borders, a believer in uh, 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 school choice and the rights of parents, if you believe in those things, that makes you an extremist. It makes you a threat to democracy. It makes you dangerous and contemptible. And I'm trying to figure out what world this is when those things... Which which I think used to be almost universal in decades gone by. Almost. There have obviously been people who are extreme on one end or the other. But I think most of those things used to be mainstream. I believe in life. I believe in the you know morality. Believe in the family. Believe in you know lower taxes and not to having the government running our lives. All of these things that they now call extremism on the right used to be almost mainstream. Yes, and uh, and here are another couple examples just to to play off of the list that you just cited. If you are flying the Betsy Ross flag now at your cottage or your home, you're an extremist because you're flying a historical uh, symbol of America's independence and march for liberty and human dignity and human freedom. If you've got the Gadsden flag, which is the don't tread on me flag, the coiled snake, Mm -hmm. if you're flying that, oh, you're really bad. You are a huge extremist. You're a national threat. Well, that flag goes back to our founding era where we were saying to the king, get your boot off my neck. Don't tread on me. I will strike you if you try to compromise my freedom. But now, if you actually own one of those flags, you are suspect and you're probably on an FBI watch list. There you go. You you beat me to the line. I was going to say it's one thing to have us branded as such, you know, and which is just offensive and it's insulting, but it's more than that. It's dangerous. If you are indeed observed with those symbols, if you are indeed maybe posting things like that on your social media account, you're being watched. Going back to the 1984, I'm not saying that there is a camera in your clock watching everything you do, but because of the digital age and because of their ability to track and the fact that you carry a personal tracker in your pocket or purse everywhere you go, thanks to the smartphone age, you are being watched. You are being tracked. And uh, any movement that you make, if they decide this is the one that we're going to get them on, that's what they will do. And then we had uh, Sam Harris this week. He was on an interview, you know, one of the neo-atheists, oh. where he was he was openly admitting that there was a, quote-unquote, his language, left-wing conspiracy to keep Donald Trump from becoming president of the United States. Why? Because your ideas, Bob, and my ideas about the way our nation should be governed and who we can elect as our leader and what principles we want him to um, apply to daily governance— because they disagree with you and they disagree with me, they can actually take pride and applaud their conspiracy to make sure our president can't be elected. Yeah, this guy, for those who don't know what he said, 
He literally said of the Hunter Biden laptop that was buried before the election. It came out before the election. It should have, and it would have had a huge impact on people's votes in battleground states. Could have changed the entire course of the, of the election and thus this country and thus the world. He said, I don't care if there were pictures of dead children in Hunter Biden's basement. I still wanted that laptop buried because it kept Donald Trump out of office. That's the evil that we are talking about, and they're the ones that call us violent and dangerous extremists. It's it's extraordinary. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. Uh, we're going to take a time out now. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about, well, his former profession, that of a university professor. What about the cost of education at the university level and now student loan debt forgiveness for those who, in, uh, who uh, accept that cost? We'll get Dr. Piper's thoughts on that next day in 1420, The Answer. Ten twenty six. Always Right Radio. Continuing now with Doctor Everett Piper. Something is too little, but I believe my plan is responsible and fair. It focuses the benefit on middle class and working families. It helps both current and future borrowers, and will fix a badly broken system. That's Joe Biden uh, defending his decision to. Uh, Grant student loan debt forgiveness $10,000 for those making $125,000 or less. No one else, by the way, who borrowed money, not for a business, not for a truck, not for a home, gets their debt forgiven, just these students. Dr. Everett Piper, you were a university president, so you've seen this from that side of it as well. What are your thoughts on the cost cost of college, the, the, the extraordinary rate of increase in inflation in collegiate uh, tuitions and room and board and so forth over the course of the last 20? 30, 40 years, and what are your thoughts on his plan and his decision to um, uh, absolve people of their loans? Okay, I could wax eloquent for a long time on this, so I'm going to try to discipline myself because I've only got three minutes, I think. Um, first of all, he just guaranteed that the price of education is going to go up because what, what college wouldn't increase its prices if you can basically charge students whatever you want, get them to take out a loan to pay for it, and then the students and you know that that debt will be forgiven and paid for by the government. So they just, they just guaranteed education's costs will go up, not down. Second, why in the world should um, the 80% of the American public that doesn't have a college degree subsidize, subsidize those that choose to go to college and then be negligent in paying for it? So now my dad, who is a truck driver, worked hard all of his life and didn't even have a high school diploma, is going to have to pay for this irresponsible 20-year-old who wanted to party his way through four years and get you and, and me to, to pay for his forgiven loan. So it's teaching a terrible lesson. And then finally, who's printing all of this monopoly money? Where is it coming from? Biden says that he's trying to decrease debt, okay? And he just cre- increased the national debt by $300 billion. Is that what it is? And we know it'll be more yeah. than that. Yeah. This is nuts. This is now I don't think borrowing a little money to go to college is a bad idea. When I was a college president, the average loan when I was finishing up about 3 or 4 years ago, the average loan that my students carried when they graduated was about the price of a Toyota Corolla. So my argument was if you have borrowed the price of buying a new Toyota Corolla to get a four-year education that's going to increase your earning potential throughout the rest of your life, it's not a bad bargain. But I never would have suggested that you're not responsible for paying that loan back. Terrible lesson, terrible economics, and it's actually backward when it calls upon decreasing debt while you increase the national debt, the national debt dramatically. 
Also, I don't know if he made this part known or not, but do you have to be a graduate to get this uh, relief? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, as you said, those who party their way through four years. There are a lot of them who go into college knowing full well they don't plan to graduate. They're just trying to delay adulting for a couple of years. So they go into college, they take out loans, they, they play beer pong and do uh, keg stands for two years, and then they drop out and they, 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 they leave with fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 of debt from two years. Do they get that relieved? Uh, it, to my knowledge, yes. I don't think there's any clause in this particular move to, per, to, uh, to, to, to only give this benefit to a college graduate. So, again, and I know this for a fact, I, 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 <laughs> there are a lot of kids that are irresponsible in college, and they do stupid things, and now you're going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. My truck driver dad without a high school diploma is going to pay for it. This is not fair in any stretch of the imagination, and it's terrible. It's a terrible learning lesson, and it's terrible economics. Let me wrap this bow around it, Dr. Piper, as we finish, because you'll appreciate this, because you and I talk about this on a regular basis. You know, we keep talking about this, and so do they, in terms of these kids, these kids. You know, they make this decision, and then they don't have to be held accountable for their actions, and usually they're excused because they're 18 years old. They don't know any better. They don't know what this loan means. They don't know how long it's going to take to pay back. So they give that excuse at 18. But they want to tell us a 15-year-old is um, mature enough to make a decision to have a double mastectomy because they think they're a boy. Yeah, exactly. Again, um, it, it makes no sense. It gets back, I think, to the front end of the show. These people are duplicitous and hip- hypocrites at every turn. They don't make any sense because their worldview is broken. They elevate themselves, and they don't believe in God, and therefore the decisions they make are essentially what Romans 1 warns of, the decisions of a reprobate mind. They can't think their way out of paper bag. Dr. Everett Piper, uh, columnist of the Washington Times, and now general election candidate for commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Blessings. Bye-bye. And to you as well. 1031, we'll get news now. Who's going to protect us from the government's standing army? And I don't mean our army, the U.S. military, under the guidance of the Pentagon. No, 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 no. We're talking about the bureaucracies that are armed to the teeth. And at whom are they directed? At foreign enemies? Nope. At the American people. John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute wrote about it. He's going to give you the details coming up next. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now we continue. AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget to check out the website, alwaysright.us. We've got some new stories up there for you and for your consideration. You know, when Bill Clinton decimated the U.S. military in the 1990s, I was uh, very concerned, and I was very appreciative when George W. Bush rebuilt the military. I want a strong military. I want the latest and the greatest in terms of weapons, in terms of technology, in terms of manpower. I was appreciative of that. Then when George W. Bush left, Barack Obama came back in and decimated the military again. And I was very appreciative when Donald Trump rebuilt the military. I want a strong, well-armed military, but that's the military. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Space Force even. Not Veterans Administration, HHS, EPA. Very, very different. But look at what we've got in front of us here. 
The IRS has stockpiled rather 4,500 guns and over 5 million rounds of ammunition. The VA, 11 million rounds of ammunition. Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, 4 million rounds of ammunition, 1,300 guns, 5 submachine guns, 189 automatic firearms for the Department of Health and Human Services. What? Social Security Administration, 800,000 rounds of ammo, and the EPA, 600 guns. The Smithsonian now employs 620 armed special agents. What on earth are we doing arming these bureaucratic agencies to the teeth? At whom are all of those guns going to be pointed? Foreign enemies and adversaries? I don't think so, because that's what the military's for. That means these must be for something else. Joining us to discuss that very question now is John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute. We talked to John about a month or so ago about segregation and vaccine cards. This is much, much different. John, thanks for coming back on with us. How are you, sir? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm busy, you know, uh, concerned about the future of the country. I think that, um, listen, this is not the country I grew up in. This is a different country. This is a, um, what... George Washington warned, do not have a standing army on American soil. Um, but what I'm seeing, and again, I'm a constitutional lawyer. I've sued in and out of Washington, D.C. for uh, over 40 years. I've seen um, how corrupt government can become. And the government we have right now is very, very corrupt. And it's not going to change, in my opinion. If you have a president that comes back in and says, we're going to do away with all this armed stuff, you know, the IRS, 87,000 new IRS agents, many of them running around, trained to shoot and kill. And the point is, they're trained to shoot and kill American citizens. That's who they're going to be up against, just like um, all these other agencies. And what blew my mind was when the Department of Homeland Security of several years back uh, actually contracted with a big corporation to make 1.6 million hollow-point bullets for federal agents. And I'm I'm a former uh, military officer. I trained soldiers how to shoot uh, and other things. And um, what was amazing when uh, the word hollow point bullets came up, all our superior officers said, we do not use those. They're inhuman. Because, you know, as you know, uh, when they hit the flesh, they expand. Uh, it's what went through John F. Kennedy's head, Martin Luther King's head. Four, four of those bullets went into uh, the Beatle John Leonard when he was locked into an apartment by some so-called maniac shot him. But the point is, is that uh, they're very, very dangerous. Why is our government ordering and now passing out hollow point bullets? Well, uh, what are they that's... afraid of? What are they afraid of? We look at the the FBI, by the way. Again, like I say, I'm a constitutional lawyer. I'll do a study of this stuff. When you have <laughs> the FBI putting out reports saying that crime generally in America is at, at one of the lowest rates ever. What in the world do we need over 200,000 federal agents running around in SWAT team gear? That doesn't count all the police agencies across the United States, which the FBI works with and is armed to the hilt uh, in maintaining so-called order. They're very paranoid, by the way. But even the people I talk to, there's, you know, the, the right wing or this wing or whatever we're going to see is the country's going to go under uh, we're going to have this rebellion or whatever. There's been some re- uh, rebellions, but generally, if you, if you just look at them and use your brain, folks, 
they haven't been very, very violent. So why do we need hollow-point bullets? Why does our local police need grenade launchers and MRAPs, which are tanks on tires? I mean... Those are all very valid questions. Although with the police, I would have at least a little bit of an understanding why they might need more firepower, I suppose, than others who are shooting at them. But we're talking about cops. They carry firearms for a living. They don't in the DHS, or excuse me, in the Health and Human Services, HHS. They don't in the Environmental Protection Agency. The Social Security Administration. Right. The Department of Education. I mean, here's the thing. Once people are armed, and again, I've uh, dealt with policemen contact me and I talk to them. They don't like the way the militarized police are going or the militarized federal agents are going. Uh, I've had some in the, that have worked in the training with uh, police. They say the training has become very militarized across the board now, and they're basically being trained in the worst-case scenario of an enemy combatant. In other words, when they see someone on the street, you know, you see people getting shot today by holding their finger like uh, at a distance, or a cell phone. They're getting shot. That's the worst case scenario, and it's a very militarized view. Uh, listen, I tell people this: if you study the Constitution, as I say, a constitutional lawyer, it says we, the people, are the bosses. We need to slow this thing down because I think we have less than ten years, in my opinion, less than a decade. This country can close down. And by the way, the Pentagon's put out a training video where now they're saying they're going to have to basically close the country down by 2030 because it's going to go into chaos. And, you know, that's what, how eight years away? Yeah. They're very paranoid. No, no, they they definitely are. We're talking to John Whitehead. John is uh, not only a constitutional attorney and uh, founder and president of the Rutherford Institute, he's also an author. And, John, you wrote a book, uh, Battlefield America, The War on the American People. When you first look at that or when a person first looks at that title, they probably assume it's figurative. It's not, though. Yeah. It's literal. No, what you are talking about, literal. we're talking about these types of arms and this type of ammo and this type of policy where, like you said, the video of IRS agents being trained on how to shoot and win shootouts and, 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 uh, uh, and, and kill American citizens. In fact, it's on the applications must be willing to use deadly force when you're supposed yeah. to be just, you're supposed to be just working behind a desk conducting, you know, tax reviews for crying out loud. That tells you something. Yeah, they want to frighten you. They want you to be afraid of them. And if you fear, fear, as I say, is uh, living in fear is the life of slaves. We should not be afraid of our government officials. Like I say, the Constitution begins with those beautiful words, we the people do ordain and establish this Constitution. We're the bosses, folks. Do not let these people uh, ruin your community. Listen to this. SWAT team raids in America in the 1980s were about 3,000 annually. They're up to 80,000 annually now. Many of them, 80% of those, are where police used to show up and knock on your door and show you a warrant. Now they're just going straight through. How do I know this? I'm dealing in many of the cases that we've been involved in on that. And they're intimidating people. And and the FBI is handing out shadow dragon apps to the local police agencies, which allows them to set up fake Facebook accounts where they can draw you in to say stupid things or something. I'm telling people, be very careful on Facebook what you say and do. You don't know who you're dealing with sometimes. Especially those people that come up to you and say, oh, I love your work. I want to, yeah, yeah, let me check you out and all this. And just be very, very careful because the FBI, uh, which we're dealing with here in many of these issues, is um, been at this for a long, long time, folks, and they don't have any, any respect for our rights. No, when we no. do have constitutional rights, learn them. 
Well, Even African-American doesn't know their rights, so I say learn them. Let me ask you about this right and about this limitation in the Constitution of the government being able to you know, turn its uh, military against its own people. The Posse Comitatus Act, doesn't it prevent exactly the type of arming and weaponizing of the government bureau- bureaucratic agencies against the people? Yes, the Posse Comitatus Act uh, says it's a crime for the government to use the military to carry out their uh, searches, seizures, or evidence like the police. They're not supposed to be the police, but they have become the police. Right. So, yeah. These agencies, these, these agencies that have nothing to do with law enforcement and nothing to do with military enforcement, uh, I, I'm, again, I'm just trying to figure out millions and millions of rounds spread out through all of these agencies. If that's not a violation, or at least an intended plan violation of the Posse Comitatus Act, then I don't know what it is, because, again, they're not oh, yeah. using those weapons. They're not using those weapons against the Chinese or the Russians if it comes down to it. They wouldn't be sent Ooh. to battle. Our military would be sent to battle. These are, these are domestic agencies who have to be arming themselves for something, and if it's not for oh, yeah. it's Listen, Americans. I have uh, people who have contacted us and we've helped that have all of a sudden the police show up with the FBI and other agencies and yeah. pull them out of their homes and take them to jail just because somebody has uh, said that they may be dangerous. Red flag gun laws. Red flag laws. Some are, you know. yep. They're getting shot by these people. Uh, like I say, the FBI, uh, by the way, shares all the information. They have amazing amounts of information, folks. We all have a huge file now. They know what we do, what we think, where we're moving, Google. They're watching us on surveillance cameras. Uh, Edward Snowden said recently he's shocked about uh, China's influence in this country now. Uh, the social credit scores are moving forward in this country where you're not going to be able to do certain things if you say the wrong words or, listen to this, if you exercise your Second Amendment rights on a firearm. And, and most people do not know this. The Department of Homeland Security is doing threat assessments on all homes across America. They go from green to red. If you have a weapon, you're a red. And then people said, why are the police so agitated when they came to my front door? Well, they have all this information about you. I mean, if you have a firearm, they go, they're dangerous. Okay? But listen, that's our right, folks. They're inalienable. The government cannot take them away. Do not allow the government to take them away. Well, that therein lies the rub. How do we fight back, especially if we literally end up in a fight and they are armed uh, to the hilt the way that they are? You, you closed your article, <clears throat> your most recent article, uh, saying uh, we're being reeled in, folks. You know what happens when we get to the end of that line, as I make clear in my book, we'll be cleaned, gutted, and strung up. That's a pretty, that's a pretty you know, heavy thing to say. So what do we do? How do we, how do we fight back or push back, or hopefully it doesn't come into a physical confrontation, but how do we push back against this? this the 10th massive... Amendment allows local governments, the 10th Amendment allows local governments to nullify acts of the federal government. Get those weapons out of your, get, listen, these small communities of 5,000 people have grenade launchers and MRAPs, get them out of there. Some communities are doing that because once, uh, anybody dresses in the black outfits and stuff like that, psychologists say their nature changes. All of a sudden, they become the authoritarian figure, like Darth Vader. And uh, we're not uh, their slaves. That's the point. So start regulating. Uh, should they be doing a bunch of SWAT teams in your area that amount to where the police used to show up and knock on your door? Require your local police and your local government agencies to follow the Bill of Rights, the Fourth Amendment and stuff like that. And you have to learn. You Make your public schools teach the Bill of Rights. They don't teach them anymore. Get, down, get involved in your local governments. America was supposed to be a nation of local governments telling those people in Washington, D.C., back off. 
do not violate our rights. And you can do it. One person, as we've seen by some of the greats in history, can change history and change how we live. And we need more uh, rebels that will do that and just say, I'm tired of hearing this stuff. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to use my rights in the Constitution. Yeah, you call it a quasi-state of martial law, and uh, and it I think is. that's exactly what it is, which, of course, is, again, a, a violation of the, the Constitution. But that's where we are. I think uh, the Constitution is quickly becoming antiquated in the eyes of the current leadership, the current administration, the current Exactly, it is, government. yes. Uh, well, John Whitehead uh, uh, from the Rutherford Institute, author, again, you really need to read his book. Like I said, it sounds like a figurative title when you talk about literally the war on American people, but it's real. Battlefield America, the War on American People by John Whitehead. John, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, uh, and hopefully we'll talk again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, it's 1051. Yeah, I had John on uh, when I was doing Prager like a month ago, maybe, and uh, talking about something very, very different, which is a different kind of war on the American people by way of the vaccine mandates and more. But this is much more direct. All of those stats that I gave you at the beginning of that interview, he has uh, sourced and are are listed in his uh, most recent article. The IRS, the Veterans Administration, Health and Human Services, um, Social Security Administration, and the EPA, all collectively, just tens of thousands of weapons and millions and millions of rounds of ammunition. For what? You figure that out. 1052, right back and Always Right Radio. Okay, 1056 now. Uh, just a couple of minutes to share this one with you. You know, I thought it might come to this, but I never really believed it would. I don't know why. This is completely off the topic that we were just discussing with, uh, uh, with uh, John Whitehead. But I didn't think they'd go there, and they have. It, is, it has begun. When the vaccines were believed to be good and true and virtuous, safe and effective, if you will, they did everything they could to make sure Donald Trump got no credit for them whatsoever. When Biden came in and started mandating vaccines, this glorious vaccine, this wonderful uh, drug that's going to prevent you from getting COVID, this is going to save America from the pandemic, he took all of the credit for this glorious program, and Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. When I came in, there wasn't even a good vaccine available, which, of course, was a lie, but this is how the story went, right? When the vaccines were good and true and virtuous and safe and effective, it was nothing to do with Trump. Now... Now we know they don't prevent anything. A lot of us knew earlier. They don't prevent uh, 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 infection, and they are dangerous for a lot of people. And now that people are frowning and down on the vaccines, they're blaming them on Trump. You knew this was coming, but I didn't think it would come. Here we go. Far-left mainstream media blames Trump for the vaccines as the vaccine dangers now come to light. An article in Politico, a hit piece, um, targeting Donald Trump, saying that he forced a rushed 
testing period on these vaccines so that they could be released to the public sooner and that the FDA could approve them sooner. He was responsible. Quote, the Trump administration pressured the FDA to, appro- to authorize unproven treatments for COVID-19 and the first COVID-19 vaccines on an accelerated timeline, according to a House report released Wednesday. They're blaming Trump for rushing the vaccine out, even though Biden came in saying, where's the vaccines? How come we don't have the vaccines? A million people had had the vaccines by the time uh, Biden was uh, uh, inaugurated. But they said, where's the vaccines? And now that the vaccines are proven to be crap, now it's, hey, Trump really rushed those. It's Trump's fault. This is a new low for these people. I'll leave it there so that I don't jeopardize our license. We'll be back after the news on Always Right Radio. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Thanks for being with us. Ten minutes past 11 o'clock. On this Thursday morning, it's the 25th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Terrific conversations thus far this morning, and I only expect it to get better now as I bring in our next guest, who knows what it's like to promote authors and their work. He's been doing it for a very, very long time. But this, I believe, is his first foray into being an author with his work, and I am very, very excited about it. A.J. Rice is the CEO of Publius PR, premier communications firm in Washington, D.C. I have booked many a guest through his firm to come on and talk about their new books and about their impact on our culture, our society, our politics, and so on and so forth. But now A.J. is tired of promoting everybody else, and he decided to sit down and write his own. It is a monster. The Woking Dead. Now, you know it's good for two reasons. Number one, the table of contents is six pages long itself. <laughs> it is It is. It is all-encompassing. It is truly a really, really large work because there is so much material when you're talking about Woke America. But the second reason is anybody who can write a book called The Woking Dead and then start it with a foreword that includes the lyrics from Michael Jackson's Thriller by Vincent Price uh, at the the, uh, outset, you know it's going to be good. Let's welcome A.J. Rice to our program on AM 1420. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's worthy. It's worthy. I've only been able to skim this so far because this is a nearly 500-page monstrosity, A.J. Rice, so I'm still working my way through it, but i got to tell you, I'm hooked, my friend. Absolutely well, hooked. Well, Brother Bob, it's good to be here. 
Now, I'm glad you noticed the Vincent Price in the beginning. The one thing about this book is you don't have to read it cover to cover. I know it's big. I mean, it's not Tolstoy big, but it's big. But one of the things I wanted to do was make it like a album with, like, track listings. Yeah. So, yeah, the table of contents is long, but each section, there's 10 sections, and there's, you know, vignettes in each section, and there's 97 of them. But we're, we're having fun with the zombie theme, obviously. Um, with uh, Thriller, with Michael Jackson's Thriller. But I just want to thank you and your audience. you got an audience full of patriots, and, you know, you guys really kick butt on the air. So thank you for having me Well, on. we do. We do have a lot of patriots. Absolutely right. They're going to love this book, and I'm going to tell them all about it. Uh, and what I love about it is what you just said. I love that comparison, by the way. It's kind of like an album. You don't always have to just put the needle. Well, I'm really going back to dating myself here with vinyl. But you don't have to just put it on the edge and listen to the entire thing in its order. You can skip around here. You, I mean, you can read, you know, uh, number 37 and then number 42 and then and, and all the way up and around. And, and it's not like there's a plot that you're going to miss because each of the stories is a story story of wokeism on its own and you know what i have to say here aj that i'm impressed with is you were able to cover so much ground in so many examples of the wokeism that we're suffering uh, suffering from right now the question is is how did you pare it down this could have been twice well as i mean yeah there was there was stuff that we <laughs> it was on the cutting room floor right and there's stuff every day i mean i you know i'm i write columns almost every week i mean i just wrote one about these minneapolis teachers union that want to fire white people first I mean, it's it's crazy. It's all around us. It's it's in our entertainment. It's in our sport. It's in our kids' textbooks. So you know, I mean, look, this is a a a you know a manual on how to fight back. Um, some of it is insightful. Some of it's horrific. But I mean, that's the goal. You know, we try to have some fun too along the way, and that's really the goal of comedy is to, to transform horror into humor. Oh, that's well said. And, and, and there is, there's, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where you say, well, this is funny, but not in the ha ha way. Uh, it's funny just because of the bizarre nature of it and how, and how maybe uh, indefensibly asinine it is. But you really do put the ha ha into it as well. And you kind of have to. I think if we were to face all of the issues that you cover in this, we'll just talk about a few of them. I think if, you, if we were to face them all, uh, just, you know, with a, with a serious, a serious attitude, I think we'd all go crazy. We have to be able to well, laugh. Well, I mean, look, what did, what did people like Limbaugh and, and Joan Rivers and, and others teach us, uh, you know, and that is to hang a joke on someone can be more devastating than to try to make some brilliant, you know, erudite point, right? I mean, Andrew Breitbart always said the American people are downstream from culture. They, they, they see if you're screwing with their stand-up comedy, if you're screwing with their NBA game, they're going to see that before they know who's running for Congress in Idaho, right? So, I mean, that, that in and of itself is, is – and that's the Vogue virus. That's the Vogue virus. We've seen this before, Bob. I mean, the political correct movement of the 1990s. This is a new and improved steroid injection version of that. That's very well said, too. We're talking to A.J. Rice, the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. And this is exactly that. Um, Let me ask you this before we get into some of the specifics. Is wokeism here to stay? 
because you talk about some ways to defeat it, things that we can do to overcome certain elements of this. But again, this is so comprehensive. And as you say, there's so much ground uh, that you left uncovered here, you know, or on the cutting room floor to mix my metaphors. Um, there's so much that we would have to overcome. Is it here to stay, or is there something no. that we, where we look no, back 20 years from now and look. say, remember those early uh, tw- you know, 2000s and 2000 uh, teens and those years? Oh, boy, that was crazy, wasn't it? I, I, I don't think that we're ever going to look back from this. Well, I, I think there's an expiration date because right. if there is a true insur- if there is an insurrection happening in the United States, it's happening with parents. All right, and look, I think this is an 80 percent issue because whether it's cancel culture or CRT or or you know the 1619 project, whatever it is, virtue signaling with masks on for no reason while you're riding a bike with no helmet, you know whatever whatever it is, they've look. This is cultural Marxism. It's been around about 100 years. It predates World War I. And what they knew then, they know now, and that is you're never going to get the workers of the world here, blue-collar people, plumbers in Ohio, carpenters in Ohio. They love their country. So they're not going to overthrow the government. You've got to get somebody else to overthrow it. Who? Well, here's who. The entertainment industry, academia. They, you know, got into the media, obviously, and and the Democratic Party seems to be the home of them currently. And the thing that ties them all together is big tech. So it, there is a fight happening. Um, big tech acts as the sort of cartilage, the aircraft carrier they all refuel and take off from. But people are waking up from this. I mean, they really are. If you got you, we need some more guys like Bill Maher who don't they don't agree with France and Rice on. You know, he might not on global warming or immigration, but he agrees with us on this, right? Dave Chappelle's not exactly Ben Carson. He agrees with us on this. So if there's more people out there, you know, that will push back on this abridgment of free speech, we can win. We can absolutely win, and the parents are really fighting back. I mean, look what happened in Florida this week. I mean, all these school districts that flipped. So, yeah, I mean, I I think there is an expiration date. We just have to keep fighting. I want to talk about big tech for a second, um, because when you say, you know, that's kind of the engine that drives this, I'm, I'm just basically asking a chicken and egg question here. Does big tech control left-wing education? Does big tech control left-wing politics? Or do left-wing politics and education and media control big tech? Are they giving them what they want? Well, they're the superhighway that they're moving their, their crazy ideas on, right? So if you don't want Gary and Steve in the women's locker room, they can cancel that opinion, Right. I mean, look, the left fought against separate but equal. Uh, this was, this was. I mean, they they were the people driving that, right? And now it's it's a shame, but France and Rice, we've got to create our own church, our, our own radio show, and our own uh, uh, social media platforms. And our, I mean, it wasn't supposed to be this way. We were supposed to be one country. Um, but I really do believe, and I'm in I'm in Swamp Central, you know, right outside the. Uh, D.C. and Northern Virginia, and I saw what Youngkin did, and Youngkin was fueled because of wokeism, because of this garbage um, that they're pushing on us. It, it, it's not just tearing down General Lee and his horse traveler. They're coming for everything. They're coming for the rosary, Catholics. They the are. rosaries, apparently. Yeah, white supremacy, gun uh, gun people with the rosary. Look out. All those Jesuit uh, priests with their machine guns. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, but no, I'm telling you, you, you know, big tech, they, they, they have the ability to, to pick winners and losers. 
But we are adapting. We are creating our own platforms. It's just a shame because we're supposed to be one country. And I just think that, you know, most of politics usually takes place between the 40-yard line, right? Um, but I, I do believe this is an 80% issue. I think the parents, whether they're right of center, left of center, wherever they're at, they pretty much don't want to be told that this group or that group hates the other one or, or was born with original sin of racism. You know, I want to think that, too, uh, A.J. We're talking to A.J. Rice, author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. I want to think that, too. I don't know that I do. Uh, a few follow-ups there. Um, I thought, when I asked you a moment ago about whether there's an end to this at some point, you say there is an end date. I thought that maybe we would have a glimpse of it when um, when Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter. And now, of course, with all of the bots and the lies about the number of accounts and followers there really are, et cetera, it looks like, looks like that's not going to happen. I thought that might kind of right the ship or at least be the first step. But the fact that that's not going to happen and Twitter is just as rabidly uh, uh, unfair and uh, you know censoring and suppressing of conservative speech as they have ever been, uh, that kind of makes me wonder, again, if this is the driver, as you called big tech, if they're driving all of this, why do you still have that faith that there's going to be an end date to this? Well, because we are getting creative ourselves, and we are, you know, we're, we're taking Twitter's power when we create other platforms for us to operate on, right? Whether it's Rumble or Getter, whatever it is, um, we're going to have to, and, you know, again, we're going to have to be innovative. Um, you know, talk radio in particular as a vertical medium. I mean, you can, you can obviously knock talk radio off of its live stream. But what the brilliance of it, of course, still is that it's an actual broadcast signal. And they haven't figured out a way to censor, deplatform, demonetize it. They could go after your advertisers, of course, but they would have until, to. Until they you know, bring back the not, fairness doctrine. Until they try they that. Could, I mean, but uh, look, and, and you and I know Rush and Sean and. And France and everyone. You guys have talked about that for a long time. Um, I mean, I was Laura Ingram's executive producer for five years. Uh, you know, and we did plenty of segments on them bringing that up. But, you know, I don't see that coming. Maybe. I mean, they would have to control the government. I don't hear them talking about it now. They control all branches of government. Um, they want to, they're, they're more worried about us digitally. And that's who these people are, though. They're digital brown shirts. I got booted off LinkedIn about a month ago, for, and we, we use LinkedIn at Publius PR to basically share interviews and, and columns that our clients write. So I put two Naomi Wolfs up and one Gregory Wrightstone, and boom, I was in the penalty box, <laughs> LinkedIn penalty box. I didn't even know there was one. So, I mean, they're, they're going to keep coming at us. But they are. We, and need to convince, we need to convince more honest Democrat, libertarian, that, you know, like Bill Maher, like some of these guys, Barry Weiss, you know, David Rubin, they're out there. We've got to get them on board to push back on this. I mean, yeah, look, we, Bill Maher's an atheist. He knows that, you know, uh, you know, the sisters of the little sisters of the poor aren't going to show up with an IED and blow him up if he makes fun of Catholicism. But look what happened to Salman Rushdie. Don't think for one second that what happened to Salman Rushdie isn't cancel culture. It's what it's the inevitable conclusion of it. If they can't cancel you digitally, they may show up at your uh, work or, or event. 
Well, you know what? I, I, I completely concur, and, there, and I don't want to say anything that would get anybody in trouble here, but a lot of people have suggested if this last-ditch attempt to take out and cancel Donald Trump by way of Mar-a-Lago raids and charges, if this fails, there are, there are some who say, well, what happened to Salman Rushdie would be the next thing. They literally will yeah, go I mean, I heard Bernie Carrick. Yeah, no, I heard Bernie Carrick say it. I mean, I, look. I don't want to say that out loud. I don't want anybody knocking on my door, but you know what, I'm, you know what yeah, I mean. right. I mean, look, exactly. Well, you know, France, don't mess with France. But, I mean, look, they're giving out Supreme Court justices' addresses. They jumped on stage and attacked uh, Lee Zeldin, running for governor of New York. They jumped on stage in Los Angeles and tried to stab Dave Chappelle because the LGBTQ mafia put a whack, they wanted to whack him. And don't forget, they put somebody in a a rifle's nest and uh, shot Steve Scalise and tried to shoot a whole bunch of others for crying out loud. Right down the street from my house. Right, there you go. I I mean, I, I agree. So, hey, you know. Hey, AJ, I want to I follow up here on, on one of the other things you said, you know, where you talk about, um, you know, do, do, they, do, do the people, whether you're left-wing or right-wing, really want to think that they hate one another? And I kind of I, I take the approach that I think we are irrevocably um, divided. I, and, and the reason why is I find myself, while I try not to be this way, I find myself recognizing that I don't want to be united. If 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 unity involves me telling somebody who thinks men can have babies and who aren't going to like me unless I concur that yes men can have babies and that z z zo is is are, are actual words and pronouns that I have to use I don't want unity I can't be friends with people like that anyway and I feel like millions of people feel the same way. No, I agree. But what I'm telling you is, and that's the tyranny of the minority. There, there isn't, I mean, you know, the world is, is not consisting of AOC and the squad. The media amplifies this kookery, but That's they're true. not the majority. They're not. I mean, I, you know, I, I watched the state of Virginia flip 10 points from Biden to Youngkin in one year because they started messing with people's kids and pushing some of this, you know, Tommy has two mommies and, and you know, Gary can play on the women's volleyball team garbage go in the women's locker room or women's bathroom. I mean, regular parents that might have voted for, you know, Bill Clinton and then might have voted for George W. Bush and then might have voted for – they didn't like Hillary, so they, they voted for Trump, but then they, they, they didn't like, the, you know, some of Trump's, you know, mannerisms, so they went back to Biden because they thought the craziness would go away. Those people are out there. They're between the 40-yard line. They decide most of this stuff. And, and I, I agree with you. I don't want to be in a tuna can with wackos like you described. Right. So but all I'm saying is I think that we're in the majority. I don't think, you know, so you talk about being united on a lot of these cultural issues. I really believe we are Um, now. It's portrayed as if, you know, the LGBTQ mafia is the majority. But I don't even think the majority of the Democrat Party let alone the majority of the United No, they're States. not, but you don't have to be the majority to have power. They have the power to ostracize. They have the power to get people fired for well, not using pronouns. True. They have the power to get people suspended from school or expelled from school if they don't identify uh, pronouns and recognize others. So that's the thing. You don't, if you don't have the majority, but you have the, uh, the, the majority of the powerful positions, and they do, particularly in academia and also in corporate America, with woke corporate America, which you cover, of course, um, that's the thing. They're, they don't have more. There are not more of them than there are us, but they are in positions of power, and that puts us at their mercy. And they're obsessed with diversity, right? They're obsessed with it, and you know everything they, they they filter everything through, you know, identity and skin color and sexual orientation. 
The funny thing, of course, you know how bad it's gotten, AJ, and you, this, this just happened, so it's probably not in your book. Uh, but, but this, I just, you know, was, was reading, and I'm trying to schedule a conversation with Heather McDonald about about uh, medicine. They are literally taking diversity and putting it over meritocracy when it comes to medicine. Medical schools are doing what Harvard has been doing with its gen- you know, undergraduate uh, admissions. They are admitting more and graduating more people who are uh, ethnic minorities or racial minorities, even if they have far lower qualifications and standards and scores than others. Now we're talking about people who make decisions on people's lives. No, that's wokeism no, right. woke to, to the nth degree. Oh, I, I was a veterinarian in Jamaica. I'm here to amputate your arm. I mean, look, that when you have a doctor shortage, I mean, we we called this right. You called it when you pass this Obamacare. The best and brightest don't, they're not going to go into medicine anymore. They're going to go be you know an engineer. So if you have a doctor shortage like England does, you're going to have to import people that are C students with degrees that should not be operating here. You're exactly right. Equity and diversity in numbers Correct. in medical schools. Uh, tr- you know, Trump. No, these people aren't Jackie Robinson. Okay, they're 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 Jethro Robinson. They're. <laughs> See, there's the humor. We need that, seriously. And I know you bring that throughout the book. The book is The Woking Dead, uh, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture by A.J. Rice. It's on Amazon. It's going to be on my webpage here by the end of the show so that you can click it and order it very easily right there. A.J., congratulations on this. Uh, Keep up the fantastic work, and I hope we can talk again. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. 1129, we don't often go all the way to the news, but we did, so we'll be back after this. Okay, 1139, not a ton of time left. We have not done calls today. My apologies for that. I do take ownership of that. I've just been very, very busy with a lot of great interviews today. If you missed any of those interviews... You should know that you can catch them on the podcast page at whkradio.com, and individually you'll be able to hear some of those on my webpage at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. We had great conversations today. If you missed them, we had John Whitehead on in the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, John Whitehead is talking to us about the... The war on the American people, and I mean that quite literally. It's not figurative any longer. It is very, very literal. He uh, talked to us about the standing army that's being created among American bureaucracies at the federal government under orders of the, the administration, the Brandon administration, with tens of thousands of weapons and millions and millions of rounds of ammunition being in the hands of not the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines, but rather in the hands of uh, the EPA and the IRS and the Health and Human Services Agency. That interview and his article will be up at alwayswrite.us. Uh, we also spoke in the uh, 10 o'clock hour with Dr. Everett Piper uh, about uh, the culture wars and the ongoing battle uh, to uh, paint that the left is waging, to paint Republicans as extremists and domestic terrorists, including parents who are simply looking out for their kids. So that's a big deal. You can catch that as well. And then, of course, we just wrapped with A.J. Rice. His book is The Woking Dead. And you should make sure that you uh, check out all of those interviews if you miss them. Now, having said that, here's what I want to wrap with before we give it over to Bill O'Reilly to take it to the top of the hour. I started talking about this uh, at the um, uh, right before the interview, I should say, with, um, uh, with A.J. Rice. They are blaming President Trump now that the vaccines are proven to not be. Did you see that um, Jill Biden? Tested positive again. Jill Biden, the first lady, same exact thing as Joe Biden. 
tested positive for COVID twice within a two-week period, despite being jabbed and vaxxed and double vaxxed and boosted and everything else. How many times? I mean, I think we kind of have this, uh, we've had this covered before. The same thing is true of Joe Biden that was true of Joe Biden. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. As we well know, it's been reported he's fully vaccinated. He's been twice boosted. You're okay. You're not going to, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. He's fully vaccinated. You're okay. Twice boosted. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. He's fully vaccinated. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. He's been twice boosted. There's no excuse, no excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. So I give you that little clip to remind you of this. When the vaccines were created under the leadership of Donald Trump, they said something very different. American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's gonna be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's gonna take the shot? Who's gonna take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. So, are you following this yet? It has come full circle. When Trump is president and the vaccines are created, vaccine bad. Right? When Joe Biden becomes president and COVID is raging... Vaccines are good. The vaccine is great. It's safe. It's trustworthy. You can do it. You're not going to get it. You won't get vac- You won't get sick. It's it. Uh, the the vaccine dies with each person that uh, gets vaccinated. It won't be passed on. Now we're finding out that none of that is true, and the vaccines not only are ineffective, they are also dangerous for people. And what's the headline? The headline is Trump pushed vaccines through trials on an expedited, accelerated timeline in order to get them out too fast. In other words, it's Trump's fault. When the vaccines are believed to be effective and safe, Biden gets the credit. When the vaccines are determined to have been uh, uh, accelerated and not tested properly because you can't do long-term testing without long-term terms of time going by, that's Trump's fault. They literally have come full circle. Hey, there's new vaccines out. Yeah, but Trump did it, so don't trust it. Hey, Trump's not president anymore. Trust those vaccines. Now the vaccines are no good. It's not Biden's fault. It's Trump's fault. Full circle. That's wokeism. That should be in A.J. Rice's book. Thanks to my guests today. Thanks to my crew, and thanks to you. I appreciate you being here. We'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.